I absolutely love this church, and uh, I have to be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a little bit uh, awkwardly addicted to this church. It's the only church I've ever been to in my entire life. I started coming here on uh, Easter Sunday when I was about your age right there, about yeah, seven, eight years old. Let me tell you what I did. My mom would come to my room on Easter Sunday morning, knock on the door and say, hey, it's time for church. We went to church every Easter right here in Rancho. It was on the original campus up the street. I said, Mom, I don't want to go to eat church. I'm sick. I don't want to go to church. I'm sick. And I would make up these excuses. Like, please don't take me to church on Easter. I just want a breakfast and I want my candy, right? So I would pretend I was sick, lying to my mom. Don't try that. Uh, she sees right through it. She says, no, nope, we're going to church. So she drugged me to church every single Easter Sunday. So for those of you who are dragged here, I don't care what age you were. Uh, if you're five years old, if you are 105 years old, if you were dragged here to Rancho, I get it. I've lived that life. But it was just a community that you know, I just knew was always there. A church I always knew was there. And uh, then when I got to middle school, and this was back in Rancho California days, before this place was even called Temecula, that's why we're called Rancho Church, because it was Rancho California, you were here, right? Okay, you remember those days. Um, no freeways, no McDonald's, no stoplights, nothing, right? Just a, a four-way stop sign right down there. When I was in middle school, um, I heard that this church that I went to every Easter, reluctantly, uh, built a, uh, a multi-purpose room and they opened it up for the youth in the community. And so every Tuesday night, they opened it up to middle school kids. And I thought, you know, I'm just down the road. I'll walk there and see what goes on. Went to Rancho Church, went into their multi-purpose room and we had a blast. I mean, we were playing games, we are playing floor hockey and basketball. And, and then when it came down to, hey, let's go into a room for a Bible study, I ditched. It's like, I'm out. <laughs> I did, I'm coming for the fun, right? And then over time, uh, as they were patient with me as we ditched and went across the road here, um, I started to realize that there are people here at Rancho that actually care. They actually care about me, this middle school random kid. Family didn't yet come to the church. I was just a complete rando. They opened the door to me and to some of my friends and just, we had a great time. We played together, we did games together, we had fun. And then every once in a while, I started thinking, you know, maybe one day, I'm gonna go in that room and see what's going on. And I thought, what's weird going on in that church room? <laughs> just some cult thing. I just didn't know, right? I went in that room and was introduced to the story of Jesus. I mean, really introduced to the story of Jesus. Not just kind of the um, you know, uh, image of, of Jesus or sort of this history of Jesus, but really experiencing Jesus, not by just the stories told in the Bible, but by real human beings who loved me with the love of Jesus. And I have names in my head of the people that were there as an insecure, skinny, uh, you know, stuttering middle school kid that didn't think much of himself from a pretty dysfunctional family. This church wrapped their arms around me, around my brother, around my mom, around my dad, around all of our dysfunction. I said, we're gonna love you like Jesus. And they did unconditionally, time and time and time again. So when we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, it is not just about Jesus 2,000 years ago. We're gonna talk about that, and it is powerful. It's a powerful story. But it is a resurrection story right here and right now that happened in my life, and that happened in my family's life. And that is happening by God's grace through Jesus every single day around this place and churches all over the world because this is a story that radically changes lives. This is an experience of resurrection and new life that radically changes life, lives. And it really all begins with this week, 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into the city of Jerusalem. 
on Palm Sunday, and we celebrated that last Sunday, Palm Sunday, Jesus riding into Jerusalem, being praised as king, being praised as the savior, right? And the city opens their arms and welcomes Jesus because Jesus has a brand new message. It wasn't a message of peddling religion and rules and regulations and guilt and shame. It was a message of freedom, free to be loved by God, free to be embraced by God, free to enjoy God. I mean, for most people, God is not to be enjoyed. He is to be feared. He is the perfect one. He's the old man up there and he's ready to judge and he's ready to condemn at our every misstep. That's how a lot of people perceive God. Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm going to introduce you to a whole new way of looking at God. He's not this big, ominous judge who's distant. He is a heavenly father who loves you, forgives you, embraces you, and he is right here. And no matter who you are and no matter what you have done, he loves you, he forgives you, he accepts you, and he just wants you to know that. And he let us know that perfectly through Jesus. Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem and he has some cleaning up to do because there's a lot of corruption in Jerusalem. There's a lot of political corruption and there's a lot of religious corruption. So he goes into the temple. Now this is the temple. This is the holy, sacred Jewish temple and he tears the place apart. He tears the place apart. Sometimes we have this meek, mild image of Jesus. He is ripping this place apart. There could have been upwards of 100,000 people in that temple courtyard and he is overturning tables and he is just throwing money on the ground because he realizes it is all corrupt. They're using God's name to steal from people, to get money for themselves. These are religious leaders, right? Manipulating people in a religious culture, putting guilt and shame upon people so that they can be manipulated by their every whim. This is the religious culture that Jesus overturned. So he made a ton of enemies. The religious leader says Jesus must be stopped. So they conspired against him and they told the Roman authorities who had invaded and occupied the area, they told the Romans that Jesus is a king and he's wanting to overthrow Caesar. False accusation. But by that Friday morning of Passover week, the crowds that were embracing Jesus the previous Sunday were now shouting crucify him. Crucify him. So during that week, what we now know as Easter week or Holy Week, that's the week that Jesus was crucified on that Friday. The evil of the world was upon Jesus. The violence of the world, the injustice of the world, all the failures of the world, the greed of the world was poured down upon the body of Jesus and he was crucified. The perfect son of God crucified. The one who only loved was crucified. This is what the world does. This is what the darkness of the world does. It wants to suppress good, to move forward greed, to move forward violence, to move forward manipulation and oppression. We see it all over the place, all parts of the world, right? You open up your news app, you're gonna see it right there in the front top pages always is the darkness and the brokenness of this world. And it's a brokenness that Jesus came to heal. Jesus came to bring resurrection from this world's death. And so when this world swallowed up Jesus in death, it was like, well, yes, of course, this is what the world does. It's what the world does often, rejecting goodness to move forward greed, to move forward with violence, to move forward with, move forward with manipulation of people, particularly oppressed people, particularly those who are marginalized, particularly those who are poor and voiceless. And Jesus says, enough is enough, and he's turning the place over. And as he turns the place over, they put him to death in the most cruel way on a cross. And that Sabbath, according to the Jewish tradition, that Saturday, the day after Jesus was crucified, 
is a day of quiet. Everybody's at home. Everybody's resting according to the law. And they are grieving the loss and the murder of their savior, Jesus Christ. And they are living in fear. They're wondering if they're gonna be next. They're wondering if the Roman authorities or the religious authorities are going to arrest them next and try them next and crucify them next. They are terrified. And then that Sunday morning, three people, three of the disciples of Jesus go to the tomb. This is Mary, Mary, and Salome. They want to make sure that the body of Jesus is buried properly according to their Near Eastern tradition. And so they buy some burial spices and they're walking to the, to the tomb. This is Sunday morning. This is at the break of dawn. As soon as they can go, they go. And as they're walking, they're asking each other, who is gonna move that rock? Because according to Eastern tradition, if you're buried in that kind of a tomb, a big rock is placed over the opening and these three ladies are not gonna be able to open it. And so they're hoping somebody is gonna be there. They're hoping some people are gonna be there to help remove that stone. They arrive and it's already moved. And you can imagine they're a little bit freaked out already. It's like, who was here? We're at the crack of dawn. This is the earliest you can get here and that rock is already gone. So you can imagine their heart probably starts to race a little bit. And then they walk into the tomb, they walk into the grave and they look at the ledge where the body of Jesus was laid and it is not there. Scripture says they turn to their right and there is a man sitting there in white. And you can imagine by that time what they're thinking, what they're feeling, the millions of thoughts racing through their brain. And this man says, don't be afraid. <laughs> Whenever the Bible says don't be afraid, that means be utterly terrified. I mean, that's just kind of what it means. Don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, aren't you? And they say, well, yeah. The one who was crucified, yeah. <laughs> well, he's not here. <laughs> That's kind of what this guy said. He's not here. He rose from the dead. And this man in white says, see, this is where his body was. He rose from the dead. Now. You hear those words and you're thinking the thoughts that you would think. This is not happening. This cannot happen. This doesn't happen. But what happened to the body of Jesus? Why is the stone rolled away? They might be thinking about what Jesus said just one week earlier, right before they went into Jerusalem. Jesus actually said, we're going to go into Jerusalem. We're going to make some trouble, right? Jesus was kind of a radical. He knew he was going to make some trouble. He had people to free from oppression. So he was going to confront the oppressors. He did say to the disciples the week before he went into that city, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tried before courts. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to rise again from the dead. He said that. And so now here they are in the tomb. His body is not there. This man in white says he's not there. The stone is rolled away. And they're probably thinking of that moment where Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. And it happened. And I don't know if they had perfect faith in that moment, if their head was still swimming, but I know they ran to where the other disciples were staying. I mean, they, they ran and they yelled, Jesus isn't there. 
And, and you can imagine their minds are going crazy. And so they start running to the tomb. And the Bible's very funny in a lot of instances. It's pretty funny here as well. The disciples start running. Now, some of them are young and some of them are old. And it doesn't call out the oldies, but it does say <laughs> that John got there first. John is the teenager of the bunch, right? He's probably, I don't know, 17, 18 years old. And he's just booking it to the tomb. And he gets there first. And a couple others get there first. And there's Peter who's a little old and he's, he's trying and he's getting there. And so there's this whole scene where they're gathered at the tomb. They don't see Jesus. They don't find anything. Their head is spinning. Is it possible that he rose again from the dead? They go back to the room that they were staying and guess who shows up? Jesus. Like the resurrected Jesus in the room. And they worship and they honor and they're speechless. And Jesus, over the course of the next weeks, he eats with them, he teaches them, and not just the 12, and not just maybe the dozens of other men and women disciples, but hundreds of people. The word of God says hundreds of people. The resurrected Jesus ate with, taught, and equipped to advance the cause of Christ. Jesus says, listen, we're just getting started here. I was here for three years, and yeah, we did a lot of cool things, but you guys, my disciples, my church, you're gonna keep this thing going. And he taught them how to keep this thing going, and he gave him and them and us his spirit. And he says, I'm gonna give you everything you need. I'm gonna give you every power, every resource, everything you need to advance the cause of Christ because what we're gonna do here is resurrect the whole place. We're gonna resurrect the whole place. This isn't just about Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Jesus says, by my power, by my spirit, by my word, by you guys being together and loving each other and loving the world around you, we're gonna resurrect the whole place we're gonna resurrect the whole world because this world is full of darkness. This world is broken, this world is violent, this world is unjust, and Jesus says we're turning the place around. And he warns them, he says it's gonna take time. Read the book of Acts chapter one. They're all excited, Jesus, when? Right now, right here, right now? Jesus says it's gonna take a very long time. <laughs> and we're a couple thousand years into it, and yes, this world is still very broken. And for many of us, you know, we're still broken people. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. And we have things that we do that aren't perfect. And we hurt people with our words and sometimes with our actions. And, and it's complicated. It's a broken world. But Jesus says we're resurrecting this whole thing. The whole journey of our walk with God and the whole journey of Jesus and the whole journey of the Bible is God bringing life from death, right? It's a resurrection journey. So wherever there is hopelessness, God is resurrecting hope. Wherever there is discouragement, God is resurrecting encouragement. Wherever there is loneliness, God is resurrecting a community of, of love. Wherever there is war, God is resurrecting peace. Wherever there is hate, God is resurrecting love. Wherever there are those who are lost and we lay them into the arms of God, there is hope of resurrecting from the dead and real, true, genuine, eternal life at peace with God and at peace with one another. That's why we celebrate on Easter. That's why I was dragged here when I was <laughs> six or seven years old, is this message of Jesus. And it took me a while to really get on board with this. But when I saw the love of Jesus, not just talked about, but lived out at this church, first with youth leaders and then the whole church community, I just got addicted, not just to a church, which I love with all my heart, and I hope to be here for the next 45 years of my life. It's gonna be hard to get rid of this guy around here no matter how you try, 
But it really is about following Jesus humbly and graciously and realizing we have a lot to learn and a long way to go and none of us has arrived, but we are gonna walk this resurrection journey. Not just telling stories of 2,000 years ago, which is the cornerstone of this whole movement of Jesus, but every day, how we are loved and how we love and how we treat each other, how we treat the world around us, how we advance the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love together as a family of faith, we're gonna be part of the resurrection story, the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to the first sermon. This is the very first sermon preached after the resurrection of Jesus in the very city in which he was crucified, the very city in which he was raised from the dead. This is seven weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. This sermon goes out from his followers. And it starts with kind of a tough phrase. Uh, you, Jerusalem, you killed the author of life, right? You were here, you saw him crucified. When someone is crucified, they are raised above the city for everyone to watch. You are the ones that shouted, crucify him. But God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. That's the history of 2,000 years ago. But let's look at the punchline. Verse 33. And the Father gave Jesus the Spirit to give to us. This is how resurrected life works. The power and the love of God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, the Son of God. The Son of God gives us the same love and the same power to continue the story of resurrection. So wherever people are hurting, how can we raise them to a new life? Wherever people don't know the love of God, how can we introduce them to the love of God and give them new life? Wherever there's hatred and division, how can we bring love and peace and unity? We can all be a part of the resurrected story. It is a powerful thing. It's a fun thing to be a part of this journey. And it really boils down for me to one phrase that I go to often. <laughs> All the time I go to this one phrase. Because with all of the you know, political controversies and religious controversies and everybody disagreeing over every little thing and everybody being offended about every little thing and we're, I'm just kind of this understandable tinderbox of a culture, there's one thing I think that can bind all of us, and I mean all of us together, and that is the phrase, I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. It's really that simple. I mean, I, I know a lot of people in this world. I am happy to be friends with people who follow Jesus and people who don't. People who actively are not a part of any kind of religion. They don't want to darken the door of any church. They don't want to be a part of the Christian religion. And listen, I understand all of that. I get it. Organized religion, you know, deserves all of the heat that it gets. And some people, they're just done. But then you introduce them to, to Jesus and just say, hey, you know, spend up just a little bit of time reading about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this isn't some you know, heavy challenge, it's just, hey, read about Jesus, and if you're a fan, let's talk. I haven't had one person read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say, guy's an idiot. What a jerk. I mean, it's a, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're like, okay, I'm with him. I don't want to you know, be a Christian or be a part of a religion, but I follow Jesus. It's like, great. Nobody, we're not asking you to be a part of a religion. We're not asking you to be a, quote, religious Christian. But are you down with Jesus? You like what he did? You like what he taught? You like how he loved? You like how he forgave? You like how he represented God as a heavenly father, not just with his words, but how he spoke? Do you like the fact that really he paid the full price, the full sacrifice? He gave his very life to show love 
to everybody, including his own enemies. He forgave his crucifiers. I mean, let's just look at his final acts on the cross. He was looking at those who drove the nails in his hands and drove the nails in his feet, and he says, Father, forgive them. Who's going to argue with that? That measure of love where you can forgive on the spot the people who are putting you to death. It's wild. I'm with Jesus. And I, you can't take that away. I don't care what. It's like, I'm with Jesus. I don't care what religious background you come from. I don't care if you're part of formal religion or not or hate religion. Fine. Great. Knock yourself out. But can we get to that basic, basic idea that I'm with Jesus? Look at Romans 6, 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Pretty simple, right? I'm with Jesus. As the power of God raised Jesus from the dead, the power of God is in us to live a whole new life. And listen, in this broken world, and we are broken people, we need that hope of resurrection. We need that hope of new life. If you are in a funk, you need new life. If you're just feeling lost, you need new life, and you're with Jesus, and so he can provide that. And not just him directly by his spirit, but in a community of faith, in a family of faith that can love you through some challenging spots, love you through some emotional difficulties, love you through mental difficulties, love you through feeling lost, love you through failure. If you are living with guilt and shame of failing, you have found the right spot because you're not getting judgment piled upon you. We're with Jesus, and so Jesus doesn't pile on judgment. Jesus piles on grace, and Jesus piles on forgiveness, forgiveness without measure, forgiveness without end, and he says, let's get up and let's walk forward. Maybe we can learn a lesson or two, absolutely, but you're forgiven. You are one with God. Never, ever forget that. Listen to what Jesus prays, and he's praying for us. So this is right before his crucifixion in John 17. He's praying for us. He's praying for you here. He's praying for me here. He says, Heavenly Father, I am in them, and you are in me. See what he's saying? We're with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. It is that simple. Jesus acknowledges this. We're together. I'm in them. They're in me. You're with us. I pray that they may experience such unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Did you hear what Jesus just said right there? Did you hear that? Listen, God loves us in the exact same way he loves Jesus. God loves us exactly how he loves Jesus. I wanna put a fine point on this. A fine point on this. Sorry, kid, the sermon gets better from here. <laughs> God accepts you. Get this. God accepts you every bit as much as he accepts Jesus. Did you hear that? Been around Rancho, this isn't going to be a big shocker. But for some of you here live who are new and some of you online, it's like, mm, that can't be. I've heard about Jesus. Maybe I went to Sunday school. Maybe I was dragged to Easter service. I heard about Jesus. He is the Holy One. He is the fullness of the Godhead. He is the Son of God. He is sinless. He is perfect. He is holy. He is blameless. Are you telling me, Treadway, God accepts me the exact same as he accepts Jesus? The answer is yes, because we're with Jesus. We are with Jesus. God sees you as perfect as he sees Jesus. 
And I know what you're thinking. I'm not perfect. I get that. But that's how he sees you, as perfect as he sees Jesus. You are every bit a child of God, as Jesus is a son of God. You are a daughter of God, perfect in his eyes. You are a son of God, perfect in his eyes. He knows your failures. He knows your faults and flaws. But as a father looking at a newborn child, he looks at you and says, you are my perfect daughter. You are my perfect son. That's a free gift of God's grace in your life. You are as close to God as Jesus is close to God. You are one with God as Jesus is one with God. And all of it is a gift by grace. It's a gift of grace. If you have ever been taught or if you have ever thought that you're not good enough for God, change that belief right now. God loves you as he loves Jesus. If you've been taught or if you have thought that you have to be a better person, that you have to be the right way and live the right way and believe all the right things in order for God to love you, change that belief right here and right now. Believe that God loves you. Believe he forgives you. He's proven that through Jesus Christ. I'm with Jesus. If you've been taught you have to be more religious or have more faith or be more devout in order for God to bless your life, change that right now. He loves you, declares you perfect in his eyes. If you've been taught that God might condemn you in this life because of your failures or the life to come, change that right now. Do not leave this place under, God, under a condemnation. Do not leave this place with guilt or shame. Leave this place knowing what Jesus taught us and how he lived his life and how he treated. Even the most sinful among us, he gave us grace and forgiveness and lifts us up and says, let's move forward. We're gonna close in, in prayer and we're gonna close in a song that is gonna declare some really simple truths. It's gonna declare that in the love of Christ, there is resurrection power, there is new life, and we are alive in Christ. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your love that you fully expressed in Jesus Christ. And Jesus in the upper room even told his disciples, he says, I'm going to show you the full measure of my love. And he gave his life for us all. The brokenness of this world swallowed up the perfect good. By your love and your power, Heavenly Father, rose Jesus from the dead and everything that now belongs to Jesus belongs to us because we are in Jesus and we are with Jesus. And so you love us the way you love Jesus. You accept us the way you accept Jesus. You consider us perfect the way Jesus is perfect. We are as close to you as Jesus is and we believe that, we receive that, we accept that by faith this very day Easter 2022. And as a result, your power is alive within us and we are free to live a new life, a resurrected life in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.